I guess who's coming back with like a big passion project director that you might not have expected to hear from again. I don't know who. Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's got, uh, he's putting together the financing for this big project called uh, Megalopolis. Okay. uh, Which is being pitched as like his version of the Fritz Lang Metropolis film from the 30s. Oh my God. Classic sci-fi. So it'll be like this, you know, massive opus with like, you know, dozens of main characters and spanning like four hours or something. It's going to be this gigantic thing. And he'll get the money for it, too, because he's Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, it's going to be super pretentious, isn't it? It could be. I don't know. I mean, I thought yeah, he's one of your favorite filmmakers of all time. I would have thought you'd be excited about this. Is he? Yeah. I mean, you listed The Godfather as one of your favorite films, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean I think he's like in my favorite director, though. I don't think he's in my top five, actually. So. Okay, fine. But anyway, it's uh, it's nice to see him come back with something big because he's been kind of languishing in sort of pretentious art house uh, hell for a little while. There was the last like credited feature that he did was something called twixt which was like a a film <laughs> a that, bad serial <laughs> uh, yeah i think <laughs> bad serial it was like some sort of film that he was re-editing for every screening uh-huh. so he had like he had shot a bunch of footage but he was putting together putting it together in different orders for every screening that he did at various festivals just like super pretentious like the only thing that you basically what where you end up when you've made the godfather and mm. apocalypse now and the conversation and you're like hmm what else could I do? I do love me the Godfather, but it's not really him that I loved about the films. Right. Yeah. Right. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Kinetoscope Extra Buttery Podcast of 2019. My name is Jason Chen. I'm going to be your host. I'm joined by my co-host, Robert Snow. Hey. (laughs) And we've got a pretty packed episode for you guys. We're going to run through Shazam, which debuted over the weekend. We're going to talk about a Department of Justice warning to Hollywood about the Oscars and exclusionary practices. We're going to touch on Joaquin Phoenix's new film, The Joker. We're going to talk about Bill Murray's newest zombie film, The Dead Don't Die. And then we're going to talk about all these IPs and sequels that Hollywood has lined up for us, including Alien and Planet of the Apes films. And we're also going to just tease a little bit more about Hellboy, which both uh, Rob and I are excited for. So without further ado, how's it going, Rob? Pretty good. How about you? Good. So yeah, the first thing thing on the list is uh, Shazam. Yes. Crazy, right? What are your superpowers? Superpowers, dude? I don't even know how to pee in this thing. This is proof of authenticity. Super strength. Electricity manipulation. Hyperspeed. I'd like to purchase some of your finest beer, please. The new uh, DC film. This movie is it's kind of like what is it like the fourth or the fifth in the current lineup of dc extended universe movies that uh, this is on the coming on the heels of aquaman but we're dealing with a movie that is um a lot more kind of sectioned off from the rest of the the narrative like it's it doesn't really link up narratively with aquaman or wonder woman or any of the others it's kind of its own thing exactly so shazam is part of who's Previously known as Captain Marvel, by the way. Yeah, but that that got the messy, like some sort of 
copyright uh, dispute back in the day yeah, between uh, DC and Marvel, which I only partially understand. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically Marvel has got the rights to the character now known as Captain Marvel, who uh, was very recently put on the big screen and for her first outing. So yeah, this this character is now known as Shazam, which is an acronym standing for uh, the names of various Greek and Roman gods. And he's got basically like your standard rundown of powers, but the difference is that um, he is basically a 14-year-old kid who says the name Shazam and then turns into a full-size adult superhero. Um, so uh, we haven't really had a, a superhero movie quite uh, following that concept so far. So it, uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of opportunities for comedy and for uh, a bit of a different take on on uh, the superhero genre. Yeah. So I think superhero films tend to have this tendency to oscillate between one extreme to the other. Yeah. So when when Zack Snyder started on this DCEU stuff. We got really some really dark films. So Batman v Superman and Justice League were kind of these washed out gray, totally like the world is going to end type superhero movie. Yep. But the last couple we've had, including Aquaman and now Shazam, they've really lightened up the tone, kind of like what Marvel did um, when they first started to kind of differentiate themselves. Mm-hmm. But now Marvel's kind of going towards the series end because they're wrapping up their big sort of dramatic arc. And DC's just kind of coming up with their new slate of superhero movies after um, the debacle that was Batfleck and Henry Cavill as Superman. Right, exactly. So it's, it is it is kind of interesting to be at that kind of transition point between what Marvel is doing and then, uh, which isn't to say that like Marvel is making a, like a concerted effort to go super dark from now on. Right. Um, but they, they are at that point in their arc where they're kind of concluding a really big epic piece of the narrative and and yeah but dc has kind of woken up a little bit and realized that you know as as much money as the Zack snyder movies did make at the box office the fans and the general critical appraisal of them wasn't was not very positive and uh it feels like the thing that people really want from superhero movies is a pretty even balance between poppy, colorful cinematography, jokes, and... Well, something that just doesn't take itself too, too seriously. You go to these superhero films to kind of escape. So I, I think anytime you know, any of these characters starts to brood or, you know, complain about their powers, people are just like, you know, you know, I, I'd love to be in your position. So can you please stop bitching and go catch the bad guy? Yeah, and that's what this movie really, uh, you know, takes and runs with is uh, is the concept of like, what if a fourteen year old kid got superpowers? And it kind of uh, it riffs on a little bit of the stuff that Max Landis uh, touched on in his indie movie Chronicle back in twenty fourteen. You know, the um, imagine a fourteen year old kid gets super superpowers. Probably the first thing they're going to do is mess around and play practical jokes and exploit the super superpowers for profit. Uh, which is exactly what Billy Batson, the uh, the main character of Shazam, gets into at first. Um, you know, we see him go to a convenience store and buy beer before he's of legal age. We see him like do uh, uh, pose for selfies in uh, Phil- uh, the 
the the rocky steps in Philadelphia, um, stuff like that, you know. But uh, gradually, he kind of has to realize that uh, the old Spider-Man adage of "with great power comes great responsibility" uh, applies, and he's got to kind of uh, man up and uh, use his powers for good. I kind of like the villain in this one. I know Mark Strong is like pretty much good in anything he does. Oh yeah, but in this movie, he's got like the seven deadly sins, and they've kind of manifested in themselves as like monsters. They look kind of like giant clay monsters gargoyles or something yeah and so there's this part where mark strong confronts his you know douchebag older brother and father and basically gets his revenge and there's one scene where like he defenestrates his brother yep yep and that was like the biggest shock to me but he turned out to be even though a bit of a cartoony villain he turned out to be like one that feels like he could be a real threat. True, yeah. I mean, I um, the movie doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about what uh, Mark Strong's characters really after other than you know some broad like global domination kind of thing you know that you don't really get a as much of a chance to sort of sympathize with him in the way that you might with like killmonger from black panther for example who was you don't think so i I don't know i mean i could i i could sympathize with the you know how mark strong's character uh, what's he what's he called dr uh, thaddeus silvana or something yes i can sympathize with how silvana is like he grew up in a really nasty relationship with his father and his brother and he felt like nothing he ever did was good enough and mm-hmm. that motivation made a lot of sense you know i think that's that's a very relatable motivation yeah but in terms of what you know if you think about other great villains from superhero movies like killmonger the killmonger's goal moving forward, he had a goal in mind that was pretty well defined. It actually convinced some viewers that he was right. You know, there was this thing on Twitter for a while of like Killmonger was right. So we don't get quite as well defined of a idea of what Silvana is after in Shazam, even though the early part of his characterization makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. I agree with that in that his sort of end goal is kind of nebulous. He just wants a lot of power. Yeah. But I think he comes as a fully realized character in that you understood why he is and why his um, relationships are the way they are. Yeah, in terms of like the other characters in the movie, you know, Billy Batson, the the guy who transforms into Shazam, he's a foster kid. So he's had a long run of um, moving around between various homes. You know, he was abandoned as a child. And uh, he, as the movie begins, he finds himself matched with a new family, a new foster family uh, with a bunch of other kids and these two. Uh, and they, you know, they're the movie presents them as being kind of like the absolutely ideal foster family. They're very uh, caring and uh, involved in each other's lives, um, very supportive and they, very multicultural. Very multicultural. You know, you've got uh, the the little uh, black girl who loves to talk and loves to hug. And then you've got the uh, kind of heavy set uh, Latino kid who doesn't talk very much, but, you know, has kind of like an inner strength to him. <laughs> um, and then uh, and then you've got the kid who Freddie, who becomes Billy's like, you know, brother. He's he's his foster brother, but they're they have more of like a best friends at school kind of uh, relationship. And uh, it's with Freddie that Billy starts exploring the the powers that are granted to him as Shazam. And they, there's these great montages where they make videos about testing the various powers and uh, then posting them on YouTube, which then kind of builds up a, a reputation for Shazam around Philly. And that's that's probably some of the best stuff in the movie, I would say. The uh, uh, that that kind of like youthful kind of discovery of what kind of powers uh, are involved here, what they're what they're dealing with. Yeah, the whole uh, growing of age sort of like fish out of pond stuff is always funny. I just think 
overall though like this is a really enjoyable and good film i think dc's sort of on an upswing now i know aquaman wasn't a very well-received movie but i do know there are a lot of people who enjoyed it oh well i mean i would say aquaman is aquaman maybe wasn't well received by critics but it had a huge fan base and yeah. it made a crap ton of money so yeah exactly so this is really an interesting move by dc and I think they really hit something here with by going into sort of the deeper pool of characters that people don't know about. Because I wasn't that familiar with Shazam. Mm-hmm. So when the whole sort of lore and the whole final scene happened where all the foster family kids team up, that was all really new to me and kind of surprising. So I, I appreciated that. So I wonder if, you know that DC would probably move away from Batman and Superman for, for at least a little while longer. Um, it does make me a little more hopeful for Suicide Squad and uh, Birds of Prey, but I'm still a little skeptical about it. Oh, yeah. Well, after, you know, some of the movies that we've been forced to sit through recently, uh, yeah, anyone would be skeptical, I think. the uh, But, but yeah, if if they keep on with this tone that they've established with Aquaman and, uh, and now Shazam, like... They they could be looking at a, a a couple of hits if the if everything goes the way it should and if the filmmakers are kind of hit that kind of magic balance of creative freedom and also like yeah whatever whatever DC is doing with Warner Brothers to kind of like guide the movies in a particular direction although it seems that yeah and we were talking about this last episode it seems like what DC is kind of identifying itself as now is uh, the studio that is is not as concerned with building up some sort of continuity or canon. You know, they're they're kind of opening the doors to filmmakers who want to do spin-off movies that are just one-offs and see where what happens. But I mean, we're going to get multiple Shazam movies, right? So, oh, for sure, yeah. And they and they do link things up with uh, the main continuity um at the end of Shazam, you know, uh spoiler alert, you know, oh no, watch out. Uh, but you do <laughs> You do get one quick little uh, sort of cameo, like what, maybe like a three quarters cameo from Superman, because they, they obviously didn't want to bring Cavill in and actually show his face for some reason. I guess he was too expensive for that one shot. It would have been so much better if he was there for that one shot. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess maybe he was busy or something or yeah, yeah, too expensive. But um, yeah, so you see Superman from basically like the neck down and uh, it is like the Superman costume that we we know from uh, the current run of movies so it's it it just makes it clear that everything that was happening in Shazam is in that same part of the universe as ba- Batman and Wonder Woman and all of that and it opens the door for Zachary Levi's Shazam to pop up in some Justice League movie in the future if they if they get that far oh yeah like the batarang that Freddy has as a souvenir actually like becomes a bit of a plot point at one point yeah but yeah oh man i was really hoping Henry Cavill would show his face um, and if he wasn't available, I would have settled for Gal Gadot or even Batfleck <laughs> <laughs> to just come in and just cameo. Like, it would have been so much better. And Freddie's reaction was perfect. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, surely, like, I mean, even if none of them, like, maybe, like, Ezra Miller as a Flash. Yeah, so Shazam's got, like, the superhero mix. A bit of super bad sprinkled in there. Teeny bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah teeny bit. It's got some nice dramatic moments. The action, I thought... At the end, even though it was a bit of a CGI fest, I thought it worked. I thought it was okay. Yeah, I mean the the character design and the the effects for the seven deadly sins were uh, they were pretty they were all right. I mean, I I at, at times they they felt like they could have used a bit more work on the technical side, but I'm mm-hmm. not going to dock too many points for that. Um, 
the I, the one thing that I really appreciated was how uh, they worked it into the script where uh, Shazam comments that the uh, the deadly sin known as lust would be should be way hotter and that was something that like I was yep. thinking about through the whole thing I'm like if there's a deadly sin known as lust like we're not seeing a lot of lust going on here because clearly this is a PG-13 movie <laughs> there's only so much they can get away with but mm-hmm. it was, I'm glad that they uh, they called that out you know the, there's a lot of self-awareness in this movie which I always appreciate speaking of self-aware the movie industry or I guess the Oscars actually have come under attack from a, a bit of real life politics oh yeah so this is the, uh, the DOJ kind of warning or comment to to the Oscars, uh, basically that word reached the uh, Department of Justice in Washington that there was some suggestion of a rule change at the Oscars to prevent streaming services like Netflix and Amazon from being eligible for Oscars. And um, so the DOJ kind of sent a letter to the Academy and said, hey, look, if you do this, you're it's basically amounts to a, an antitrust situation where you're denying a company eligibility in a competition that while directly speaking, there's no financial um, consequence to winning an Oscar, but it does make a difference for anything that you do as a company afterwards, because the brand name of Oscar does carry a certain amount of financial clout when you're putting together marketing for movies or uh, selling other, other stuff. So, you know, an Oscar winning company can you know, be more competitive. Uh, so yeah, they they essentially said like, hey, don't do this because this is uh, this is kind of violating capitalist uh, principles. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know if you how much you've read into this, but the DOJ's comments on this issue they're a little bit out of date because essentially the issue that they're talking about uh, was resolved about a week or two ago. I think we might have even mentioned it here on the show. Uh, the the worries over whether or not the Oscars were going to change the rules and disqualify companies like Netflix were based on comments that had allegedly been made by Steven Spielberg because he was allegedly planning to go to a board of governors meeting at the Academy and uh, proposed this rule change, but then it was revealed that Spielberg said nothing of the sort and that it was based on some fake news report that had been generated, some rumor that had gotten blown up into a real story. I have already lost track of like where and how this story started because it's so convoluted, even though it's such a simple thing. Yeah. I just think it's hilarious that the Department of Justice had to step in and actually make a comment about this. And I think this shows you how disruptive a lot of streaming companies and a lot of new media companies like Netflix can be. For sure, yeah. And because they're they're sort of upending this traditional movie system and business, I think it's actually really smart that the government came out and said, look, guys, like... Uh, we're all for healthy competition and all, but you guys can't start making rules excluding other people from playing in the game because it's basically what would be the proper term, anti-business, am- anti-competition. It's something that Netflix has sort of danced with in the past because they've come up against the rulemaking organization at uh, the Cannes Film Festival uh, about this. You know, there's been a lot of arguments and even I think some legal um legal uh, affairs uh, with regard to whether or not Netflix movies can be shown at, in competition at Cannes. Um, but I think because of the the rules in, in France being very different than they are in the United States when it comes to theater exhibitions, mm-hmm. um, it's, I think uh, Cannes can, the Cannes Film Festival can get away with it because they're a different sort of festival and they, they can, they have a little bit more flexibility when it comes to banning a particular type of company uh, for one reason or another. Because I think Cannes is more like a festival, whereas the, the Department of Justice letter was more about the, the industry as a whole, right? 
Right. Yeah. yeah so I, I think that might be the big difference there. But it just it's interesting to see how this will pan out because I wonder if the Oscars will either A, open their doors more to like non-traditional um, film distributors or will it be more exclusive in saying that, okay, you own, we will only consider films that have X or Y. And I wonder if like Netflix and all the other streaming companies would one day be like, well, okay, screw you guys. Well, we're going to have our own awards yeah, and we're only going to... Um, only films that were uh, made by streaming services will be allowed to or be allowed to be considered for awards. Yeah, I mean, there's already a tradition for that with like video creators on platforms like YouTube and Vimeo and uh, and those sorts of things, you know, mm-hmm. uh, award shows like uh, the Streamies or the Webbies and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, none of those awards competitions are have anywhere near the kind of um, mainstream clout. Uh, when it comes to you know televised shows and stuff, the way the mm-hmm. Oscars do, but but yeah, it um, if uh, I I definitely wouldn't fault Netflix or Amazon from wanting to pitch something like that if uh, if they felt they were getting frozen out. Mm-hmm. Moving on to more other news would be the new Joker movie. The teaser trailer just dropped with Joaquin Phoenix. My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose. To bring laughter and joy to the world. In the last episode, rather, we, we were talking about it. And the trailer hadn't dropped at that point. But now it has. And I don't know. I mean, I've been steadily changing my view on this for the past, like, six months or so. I mm-hmm. when, when the news about, you know, a Todd Phillips-directed movie featuring the Joker, played by Joaquin Phoenix, uh, right. produced by Martin Scorsese, like, all of these pieces, they did not sound like they fit together. But the more I've thought about it and the more I've watched what DC is doing with these kind of spinoff ideas and one-offs, the more it makes sense to me. And I feel like this trailer kind of confirms what I've been feeling recently, that this is something that makes a lot of sense for the superhero genre. Right. So I was, I don't think I've changed much of my position. I was kind of cautiously optimistic to begin with because Joaquin Phoenix is like a phenomenal actor. And if you watch the trailer, like, did you notice how much of a body change he's undergone? Like having filmed, you were never really here. You were never really here, and he had bulked up for that role to play an aging enforcer hitman. Yeah, exactly. And this one, he's kind of like deformed, a sort of distorted. Um, it seems really dark. I feel like I, I don't know if this was a type of like torture porn movie, but the teaser trailer did show Joaquin Phoenix getting beat up a lot. This makes sense given Martin Scorsese's involvement. There's a lot of callbacks to Taxi Driver. Well, De Niro's in it, so. (laughs) Yeah, and then there's the King of Comedy thing. I've never seen King of Comedy. I've heard various things about it over the Mm -hmm. years, but um, King of Comedy follows a um, sort of a failing stand-up comedian played by De Niro, and uh, Scorsese directed it. And the... It's interesting to see De Niro here in what's being described as kind of like a what if scenario. What if the character that De Niro played in King of Comedy actually became successful after a, after a while and rose up and became the host of a, of a popular late night show. And so we see there's some suggestion in the trailer about how the character played by Joaquin Phoenix will be a kind of Rupert Pupkin, King of Comedy style character who's failing as a stand-up and then something happens that kind of pushes him into madness. Yeah, so one of the Joker origin stories from the Batman films is that he gets beaten up 
Um, he somehow gets sort of tied up with the mob. He owes him a bunch of money, gets beat up, and he sort of starts getting his will and spirit sort of chipped away. And he kind of descends in this state of madness that eventually turns him to the Joker as we know it. So that's the arc from uh, The Killing Joke. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of other Joker arcs kind of follow a similar pattern. We did see a young Bruce Wayne in the trailer too. Did we? I didn't catch that. So the kid he he sees through the fence where he has his like fingers in his mouth and he's trying to make him smile. Oh. That that young kid is supposedly playing Bruce Wayne. Oh, okay, cool. All right. Yeah, so that's your sort of Batman tie. And there's a, a shot of, I think, a hospital that's labeled as Arkham or something like that. Yeah, you definitely see that. Yeah, there's a wide shot. So it definitely fits in that universe. It is definitely separate from the Shazam universe we just talked about. Oh, yeah. Yep. But yeah, I am so intrigued by Joaquin Phoenix's performance. I'm still cautiously optimistic, but I'm very, very happy that no plot details were revealed. And I hope, and I know this won't be the case, is that this teaser trailer would be the only promo we get before the film is released. Mm, yeah. But we'll get a lot more details. But it looks like, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is go- gunning for another Best Actor nomination here because he really goes full method. I mean, not not to say that the Academy would pay it much attention because, you know, as we know, they, they don't, other than the recent surge in, in favor of Black Panther, they don't really pay much attention to the superhero genre if they can help it. Well, Heath Ledger won it, so... True, yeah. For the same character. For the same character, so there's, yeah. a, there's a bit of a precedent, you're right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, and it, it, this is definitely a bit more of a dramatic film and definitely not the classic superhero pow- special powers, you know, like coming of age story. The, the only other thing that kind of uh, caught my attention with with regard to this is actually, um, you know, not, not to speak too ill of the social justice warriors out there online, because a few of them are doing good work and keeping them honest. There is already kind of a whisper campaign that's kind of appeared on Twitter. Certain people who are trying to kind of float really bad takes about how the Joker movie is going to become like an apology for incel culture. I have not heard about this. Please go on. <laughs> it, it is so stupid. It. it is so stupid. It is based on, it's basically just somebody looking at the Joker trailer, seeing a character who is like sidelined emotionally and ends up becoming like a crazy serial killer as a result of being like denied something in society, which is like a very basic character sketch. You know, there's there's not a lot to go on there, but they're taking that and assuming that the Joker movie is somehow endorsing the behavior of somebody who is cast away from society or um, turned down in a romantic relationship and therefore becomes a crazy killer as a result saying that you know the movie is behind this or, or apologizing for it and it is just a stunningly bad take i mean i don't I, it gets back to something that that irritates me a lot about how people there's a certain category of people out there who have a really hard time with critical thought and they um <laughs> it's it, i could i could go on a tear about this if i if i wanted to but essentially people who are they look at a movie that's depicting some sort of bad behavior and assuming that the movie is endorsing that behavior it was something that popped up with regard to zero dark 30 back in the day people assuming that because the characters in that movie torture accused terrorists to get information about osama bin laden that the movie is saying that yes torture is okay but no, the, what's really happening is in movies of any kind, any genre, if bad behavior is depicted, they're saying that these characters went to these lengths because of X, Y, and Z. They're not saying that this is all right. We stand by this behavior. And it feels like people are already kind of building up the, this kind of like anti-Joker movie thing 
based around incel culture because we've had so many examples of like incels you know even here in toronto um a guy who kind of identified as a as an incel mowed down a bunch of people with a van which was terrible but uh, the the connection between that kind of real life behavior and something being depicted in a movie i don't buy it for a second (laughs) i'm in agreement with you there i don't think films inherently say anything political i I think it's open to a lot of uh, interpretation i don't think a lot of films mean to make a political statement about anything that they no. really depict unless unless you're Paul Verhoeven well, and, and you yeah. make like a film that is clearly satire that's when I think that it becomes a legitimate piece of social criticism yeah I mean if you come right out and you and either implicitly or explicitly or like an Oliver Stone for example um, and you say I am making this movie about this topic and it's clear that uh, this is what I'm saying but I, I think there's there's a lot of people out there who are trying to sound smart by reading into certain movies past the point that the text of the movie actually supports in an effort to make a point and you know it was a problem with the reaction to the the last jedi stuff it was a problem it, and it, it it's you know it kind of it comes in waves i feel with uh, certain pop culture moments where it's almost like the people who are engaging in this behavior are kind of bandwagoning on the popularity of a particular piece of pop culture in an effort to kind of talk a bunch about something online and look smart. I don't know. <laughs> Do you find it difficult to drown out this kind of noise? Occasionally. I mean, I, I always have to tell myself that it's a very vocal minority mm-hmm. of people uh, who are carrying on like this, but it does get irritating from time to time because you're like, you know, you see enough of this stuff in your feed and you're like, come on, like this, the movies, movies can be analyzed in a, in a more subtle fashion than what these people mm-hmm. are carrying on with. I've always been sort of intrigued by the movies that these people sort of use to sort of be the hill that they they die on. Yeah. Because I, I think there are a lot of shows out there, say, you know, Game of Thrones, for example, that really make overt political statements about, about how we govern ourselves and how we run our daily lives. Mm, yeah. But that's a whole topic for another time. Yeah. It's only episodes. two weeks away, by the way, too, eh? Yeah. So I still haven't decided how I'm going to actually access the episodes, but I know I'm not going to be spending $40 on a Crave upgrade uh, just for Game of Thrones. It's not worth Well, it. you just, you know, do that thing that rhymes with um, Borant and starts with a T. <laughs> 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 um, I think at one point the showrunners were like, yeah, it doesn't really bother me that much because part of the reason why it's so popular is because the piracy is so rampant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, HBO as a company is not happy about it, but, you know. Of course. Maybe they should do better deals with uh, local, with telecoms like uh, like Bell and allow for wider access. Okay, well, here's an interesting exercise. So say you could just buy the game of thrones season eight just by itself it's like a one-time thing how much would you pay for it if i could buy it so that i got all the episodes at the same time as ever as they aired basically or as one go it doesn't matter just like what would you pay to for to have access to see that season i would say probably 50 or 60 bucks 50 or 60 okay so yeah i was thinking a hundred dollars is probably like the max people would be willing to spend yeah because you think about eight episodes, they're about like nine, ten dollars each, you know, yeah, twelve dollars yeah. each. It sounds about right. So it's interesting. I hope in the future that instead of having to just buy a stream, I hope we can just go online and kind of like online shop to buy the things that we want. Sure. I mean, that that would be the ultimate kind of customer experience. But I, I de- you know, uh, 
the, I think there was a tweet a little while ago that said, um, I, I think I like retweeted it or favorited it or something because the person was essentially commenting, it's fascinating to watch companies like Netflix and Amazon slowly invent cable for the second time. Yes, exactly. It's no different. Yeah, it's the, the this bundling that's happening or or these these efforts to kind of compel you to sign up for a whole bunch of services to get access to all these exclusive shows that you can only get on X, Y, and Z. You know, at the end of the day, you're still paying what you were paying for when cable was, was popular. And yeah. Which is why, like, I don't think pay-per-view is actually going to die out because that's what essentially YouTube does, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, that. well, and even YouTube is in the game to an extent. I mean, they, they're trying to encourage you to sign up for their premium uh, subscriber experience. I thought they trashed that. No, that's still going. That's a YouTube Red or YouTube Premium or something they're calling it. What? I thought they gave up on that. They renamed it, but no, it's still a thing because they have, uh, oh. because they just have a whole um, season renewal for the Cobra Kai Karate Kid spinoff show. Oh, I've been meaning to watch that. Yeah. So right. they, they, and that's gotten like good reviews too. So it's actually yes. got a bit of a critical uh, acclaim going for it. So yeah, they're, they're in the business. They don't have nearly the selection uh, in terms of exclusives that um, Netflix and Amazon do. But I think YouTube, like any other Silicon Valley media company, wants a piece of that pie. Yeah, I wish there's just like one universal site called like movies.com or whatever. And that has like every single movie you could ever imagine. And you could just pay per view that thing, like pay a certain price for a certain yeah, thing. Yeah, but nobody's going to make any money doing that. Well, yeah, that's true. That's just my dream. <laughs> that's why I said it's my dream. <laughs> you can be the Elon Musk of this movies.com idea. And, uh... Oh, yeah. I'll just have to like run a company that loses billions of dollars for like 10 years, yeah. grab a whole bunch of market share, and then hope I can sort of monetize it. <laughs> Meanwhile, becoming like a super villain in the process. Exactly. Yeah. Moon bases, space lasers, the whole nine yards. You know, if I was a super villain, I don't think a moon base would be the first thing I'd go after. I, I'd kind of be like uh, in Shazam where they're talking about finding a layer and having a layer. That's what I would probably uh, have. I'd probably <laughs> have like some like super high tech mansion rather than something buried or like some underground thing where there's no natural sunlight, you know? <laughs> Yeah, because you have to uh, you have to promote this like exterior layer of respectability so that people keep investing in your companies. Exactly. It's like the X mansion is basically like a giant mansion and it's not like really a layer until you go downstairs. But anyway, yeah, um, speaking of more releases and movies and debuts and more stuff coming out. We have Bill Murray's new zombie movie, which you were a big fan of. Well, I mean, I, I saw the trailer and I was like, yeah, this is uh, this is for me. What was it, wild animals? So what are you thinking? I'm thinking zombies. What? You know, the undead. Ghouls. The Dead Don't Die. Yeah, The Dead Don't Die. This is a new movie from uh, Jim Jarmusch, uh, who... I, I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with his stuff, um, but he, he's been like the indie movie provocateur for a while. It's actually not the first genre movie that Jarmusch has made. Like, you know, he's made a career for decades in making lots of like small black and white, mm -hmm. very talky movies that only like snobby film buffs go to see. And then uh, all of a sudden he made this movie a few years back called uh, Only Lovers Left Alive. Mm -hmm. And it had Tilda Swinton and... Tom Hiddleston as a pair of vampires who've been around for hundreds of years and were living in uh, Detroit. And it was just kind of a very straightforward kind of 
quasi dark comedy with a bit of like a romance thing thrown in Mm -hmm. and not a whole lot of plot, but uh, just very enjoyable, uh, great music, um, a fun riff on the vampire concept. And it feels like this new movie is the same thing, but for zombies. So it basically follows a zombie outbreak in a small town in America. And uh, Bill Murray pops up as a local uh, sheriff or sheriff's deputy or something like that. And uh, Adam Driver's there, Tilda Swinton is back. A lot of this, the the uh, the Jim Jarmusch performers and a few new folks who, uh, as far as I know, haven't worked with Jarmusch before. And it's just one of these dry kind of riffs on the zombie genre that uh, I feel like is my favorite way of watching zombie movies because I uh, I can't get really personally I can't get super into the kind of straight straight up uh, zombie genre as it is. Yeah, I agree. I'm not a big zombie person, so any zombie movie I watch has to be a comedy. It can't be a horror because I just yeah. I, I don't know. I don't, I either don't enjoy it. Or I just don't buy it. The only zombie sort of movie that th- zombie thriller that I enjoyed that I can think of is actually 28 days later. And that was more of a different kind of zombie movie, I think. Yeah. But there's also more alien and planet of the apes. This stuff doesn't end Rob. No, I mean, there's just always more stuff to watch, man. It's uh... well, just not even more stuff to watch. It's like, more stuff that they want to mine and just like milk. <laughs> like I thought the Planet of the Apes and a uh, sort of like kind of came to a really good conclusion. Like it ended, it set up everything else. Oh yeah. I can well, see the the case for Alien because I think Ridley Scott has sort of opened a can of worms with his past two films, I guess. Well, and he's also said that, you know, per- personally as a filmmaker, he's going to keep making movies until he drops dead on set one day. So, you know, if uh, if half of those... End- Kudos to him. Yeah, totally. And if half of those movies that he's going to keep making until he dies are, are alien movies, then I guess, you know, keeps the whole franchise alive. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, your mileage may vary with, with the, the alien movies in their current format. Uh, you know, I kind of... I was kind of like lukewarm on both uh, Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Yeah, I'm uh, with you there. Because I'm not, I'm not a huge diehard for, for Alien in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do really like the Planet of the Apes movies, yes. uh, the, uh, the, the past trilogy. And it makes sense that like if you look at the last three movies as kind of like one arc, there's potential there for them to start up a new arc uh, with um, more movies. And I'm sure that now that Disney owns Fox, they're looking for any number of IPs that are f- coming in from Fox's stable right. and uh, just looking for the ones that are the most viable. So since we're in like the old golden age of IP, I was thinking, Rob, is there a past IP or a new IP that you would like to see be adapted into film or have a sequel? Ooh, well, I mean, if money's no object, then I guess it would be great to see another Man from Uncle movie because the first one was great. Uh, okay, so um, yeah, that's the one we both default not to. The, not the first one that would probably get made. It seems unlikely that they'll get the financing together on that. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of like dormant franchises that we haven't heard from in a while. The one I was thinking of the other day is, do you remember Inspector Gadget? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I kind of wish that made a comeback. Really? I mean, like, I feel like they've uh, the, it's been they've made a couple of like TV spinoffs recently. Have they? I only remember the Matthew Broderick movie. No, apparently, I can't remember how I came across this information, but uh, I'm pretty sure they one of the kids' channels has had like a CG animated um, Inspector Gadget for a few years. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm I'm talking like live action, big screen. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I can see the I, I can see them doing that. Uh, I don't know who has the the rights to Inspector Gadget right now. Oh, I don't know, but it's they've had. Uh, a movie done before and i feel like that's sort of a an ip that they can you know look into in mind a little bit too here's one that has never been adapted before but might be a uh, a strong contender especially in the age of like 
graphic novels being a huge source material. It's a graphic novel series called Bone by mm-hmm. um, okay. Jeff Smith. And it's uh, it's kind of like a fantasy-inspired thing where these kind of like cutesy characters called Bone Creatures uh, who uh, have like evolved into this uh, fairly modern society, they get run out of town because one of the Bones runs a very unpopular political campaign and uh, they get lost in the desert and they find themselves in this valley that's basically deep in like the medieval uh, technology, like middle ages kind of thing and get Mm -hmm. drawn into this big uh, epic quest uh, to kind of save the valley and defeat this supernatural evil force. And and it kind of goes from there. But um, I've, I've read the whole series. I actually own the paperbacks, uh, part of my, my small graphic novel collection. And uh, it's always felt to me like a really strong contender for some sort of a series on a streaming platform or maybe even a movie series. There's been some talk of adapting it in the past, but uh, that would be an IP that no one's really uh, pursued in a big way that uh, could probably make a lot of money if it was done the right way. And the other IP that you kind of have your eye on is Hellboy. That's coming out. And David Harbour, he just joined the new Black Widow production. David Harbour's star is rising uh, pretty, is. pretty quickly in Hollywood. I mean, uh, most people these days probably still know him just as uh, Hop on uh, uh, Stranger Things. But yeah, the guy's been working like a, basically like a blue collar worker in Hollywood for years, you know, like long term runs on Law and Order and uh, supporting characters in all kinds of big movies. I feel like he's I've probably seen him in like 10 or 12 movies just in like small roles. And uh, but yeah, here he is kind of fronting his first superhero movie franchise where he's kind of definitively the lead and uh i really hope they it does well and, and they make more of them i mean uh i have a i have a huge i'm a huge fan of hellboy in general and like i've talked about it before on the show so we'll see what this uh what this release in a week's time nets them in terms of box office because uh yeah it's there's so many ways to take that uh, that franchise and even like spin-off characters like it's a whole it's its own thing on the scale of like a marvel type of uh, type of thing in terms of in- interconnected stories mm-hmm. so if they yeah if it finds an audience i uh, I'd, I'd definitely be there for it all right so um we're looking very excitedly ahead to the next couple weeks guess uh i think that's about it is there anything else no well i was just going to point out that like uh in the next episode we'll probably have watched endgame by that point so uh we'll dedicate a a chunk of that episode to that and stay tuned for some news about uh some new platforms that the podcast is going to be available on if you've been listening uh to this show on either uh apple or google play we are investigating getting the show up on Spotify as well. So uh, once that is up and rolling and uh, uh, we've confirmed that uh, all the episodes are available, we'll definitely let you know here on the podcast and uh, probably tweet it out from the Kinetoscope uh, Twitter as well. I've I've also uh, been made aware that apparently the word Kinetoscope is hard to spell. Uh, A few people have told me this. Um, (laughs) Where do you guys go to school? Come on. I don't know. It's, it's, you know, it's a K-I-N-E-T-O scope s-c-o-p-e not not hard who said that who said that let's go beat them up people i work with i can't beat them up i need my job but (laughs) um i don't know well do it anonymously i didn't say bring a baseball bat to the office (laughs) you know pounce on them in the parking lot when it's dark out learn to spell also visit kinetoscope.ca yeah exactly so email us kinetoscope reviews at gmail.com visit our website kinetoscope.ca coming to you from vancouver my name is jason chen and coming to you from toronto my name is robert snow thanks for listening we'll talk to you next time